0: What's up everybody? Welcome to the Pick Six Podcast. Happy August 29th. Wednesday. One more day until week four of the preseason, which means one more day until seven days until the start of the 2018 regular season. Can you feel the excitement? I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host here every day for the only daily NFL. I don't know what I'm doing there. Only daily NFL podcast on the entire internet as far as you or I, or anyone that works, that, uh, that pays my bills knows that either. Um, today we're going to talk to Dr. Brandon Bowers. Uh, Dr. Brandon Bowers, new friend of the program. Actually a, uh, he's a doctor of physical therapy at Athletico, which is in Ohio. Um, and he's a sports injury expert analyst. For CBS Sports and other places around the internet, it's going to be doing a lot of work for CBS Sports and Sportsline this year. And it made a lot of sense to talk to him, not just from a perspective of looking at some injuries that are out there for key players that you're going to need to know about for your fantasy purposes, for your gambling purposes, just for following football in general. Uh, maybe you're a Cowboys fan and you're panicking about Zach Martin. We talk about his hyperextended left knee and what to worry about. Um, you know, maybe you're, he has some really interesting things to say about Andrew Luck and, and his velocity this, uh, this preseason, as well as his depth of target this preseason. Talked about ACL injuries and, <clears throat> excuse me, coming back from those. And then we sort of dove into some, some specific injuries. I mean, like, I know my dad had talked about, and, and maybe it's too late. He had, he had texted me about doing this. He's like, you should do a fantasy 101 podcast. Well, it's a really good idea. If, if you'd like to, if you'd like that, maybe we could do a bonus one, uh, for this weekend. Let me know. We'll try and bang one out if that's the case. Um, you know, let, just tweet at me at Will Brinson. Send me an email, willbrinson at com. As I said on yesterday's show, I've opened my DMs for, we'll see how long that lasts, but, uh, for right now, you can DM me and, and say stuff about the podcast. You can ask me fantasy questions. Uh, God, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not going to, live consult on a draft but i mean if you catch me at the right time i'll probably give you a 5000 words of advice uh about your fantasy team if you if you've emailed me or dm me about something other than fantasy football or uh or or football advice leading up to the season i'll probably put it on the back burner and get back to you later just as an fyi um but so if you like, if you'd like to hear that 101 show, let me know. Bob Brinson's suggestion, I like it. Uh, today is sort of an injury 101 show though, because, so Dr. Bow, Brandon, I'm gonna call him Brandon. You can call him Dr. Bowers, whatever you want. Um he, he, we wrote down, you're like, like, what happens in the case of a list franc injury? Uh, you know, what happens in the case of an ACL? What you should expect with a high ankle sprain versus a low ankle sprain? And this stuff is important because it's going to matter in a big way for your DFS games, for for betting on certain games, uh, for betting on all games, for for making picks, and for for your fantasy drafts too. Like, if somebody gets a high ankle sprain, you're not going to want them because they're going to be out for several weeks. I've had a high ankle sprain. I'll tell you that story. Uh, Doctor Bowers agrees that my story. Um, I should get a better story about that one. Anyway, we'll get to some news. We'll talk about hard knocks and we'll get to him. Also coming up this week on Thursday's show, RJ White, one of Sportsline's top experts and uh, one of my CBSSports.com editors. Great dude, good friend. He's, he's, he crushes it in terms of, um, in terms of future bets and, and week to week picks. You should sign up for Sportsline. And if you do that, you can get his picks. You can get DFS advice. You can get uh, uh, d- like fantasy football uh, spreadsheets. You're going to get projections for the entire season, expert picks, computer picks, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of information. And if you use the promo code PASS, P-A-S-S, you get your first month for a buck, so check that out. That's promo code PASS, P-A-S-S. Go to sportsline.com backslash join and, and check that out. Um, then we're going to have Mina Kimes of ESPN. She's going to be on Friday show. Um, we're going to do some fun stuff and, and, hang out with Mina and talk to her about all kinds of football things. And then, of course, we'll, you know, we'll break down, um, we'll break down the, the, the pre, the final week of the preseason and potential cuts. I'm actually traveling to Florida this weekend. We're going to be doing, so on Friday, uh, and Saturday and Sunday, I'll be doing a CBS Sports HQ videos. You can watch those at cbsports.com backslash live. Greatly appreciated if you're sitting around. And you see me tweet about it, fire up, click on through. Because, I mean, that makes me look good if people click on through. Um, or if you just fire it up in the middle of the day, watch some CBS Sports HQ. And then on Monday, this is really cool, we're going to be doing a seven-hour fantasy football telethon from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. on CBS Sports HQ. You can watch it at CBSSports.com backslash live. You can call in. We bought a crap ton, as I understand it, of old phones because you just can't buy a bunch of, like, landlines aren't lying around. We bought a bunch of phones, and we're going to be while we're hanging out, taking phone calls and answering fantasy questions. I will be doing it. I am told I will be doing it in a tuxedo. I will be wearing my white dinner jacket for my wedding. Uh, I'm assuming it still fits. I've only worn it, I think, twice, maybe once since I got married. And uh and, and hopefully I'll be wearing carrying one of those little microphones that you would see the the host from like Press Your Luck where uh carry, or maybe like a Pat's Pat Sajak still still does that. Alex Trebek still they rock those tiny little microphones. Um I'm hoping that my bosses will get me one of those and I can walk around and answer fantasy questions. So make sure to tune into that if you have fantasy questions you want to ask, 3 to 7 PM on Monday, Labor Day, Prime Draft Day. You call in and talk to me and I'll talk to you for 30 minutes while we work through your draft. Um so, to the news. There's a lot of stuff going on right now, okay? We got we're busy, all right? Uh Des Bryant hinted that he wants to wait until quote later in the year end quote to sign with a team. He did that in a tweet. What that leads me to believe is that Des Bryant does not want to play for a team like the Browns. It could be a five win team. He's not interested in just doing this for money. He's not interested in. I mean, I'm sure he wants money. He wants. He wants to get a lot of money from a contender. And but he's willing to wait until he sees what the landscape looks like after cuts are made and after some of the injuries happen early in the season. He's more likely to get paid and more likely to land with a contender if he does that. Um, tells you that that visit to the Browns on Hard Knocks, maybe maybe a little bit for the cameras there. Maybe just a little bit. Jerry Jones, Dr. Jerry Jones, um, not actually a doctor. His plan to fix the preseason is to play 18 regular season games for a, quote, for, quote, a safer game. I mean, Jerry Jones has got to stop saying this stuff. He sounds like he's insane. Like, he sounds like an insane person. He said there's no connection between concussions and football. And now he's saying that an 18-game season would be safer. Stop talking. The Chiefs have a new tailgate policy that will force fans into the stadium after kickoff or send them home um, as someone who likes to uh, go out at halftime and have an adult beverage or 12 and maybe end up watching the game on uh, not for college games. Uh, maybe end up watching it on a flat screen by a giant milk truck that the, we may or may not have at our tailgating spot. I hate this idea, but it's a really good idea. Get, you either go in the stadium, go to the game or get out of there. Now I'm not saying that everybody shouldn't be able to do what they want, but when you stay out at the, when you stay out at the parking lot and you hang out and you booze it up, creates a bit of a dangerous environment. Get into the stadium. I'm not saying just get in the stadium, do it. Tom Brady on his wide receivers this offseason quotes certain things haven't worked out. See, Tom, that's how you do it. Somebody asks you a question, you answer the question and you give a bunch of nonsense. Khalil Mack. Still in a stalemate with the Raiders. Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports reporting this. Likely to miss regular season games. It feels like this is heading for a trade. We'll see. Um, Greg Williams called Denzel Ward's tackling that got him hurt stupid. Hugh Jackson doesn't like that. Um, you know, if you watched, uh, watch hard, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Hold on. That's hard knocks. Uh, the Lions, the, the, excuse me, the Bengals handed out contract extensions. To Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins, no brainer moves. I like the Bengals defense. Could see them being a pretty interesting pair. I actually talked to the Bengals, uh, talked about the Bengals and the Ravens on Dave Damashek's football program, which was out, came out on uh, Tuesday afternoon. Um, Dave, Shek was kind enough to have me on promo the pick six podcast. Always kind of him to do that. And you should subscribe to the Dave Damashek football program, a very good podcast. I think it comes out like two, maybe two or three times a week. I subscribe and listen to it as uh as many episodes as I can. You know, I gotta listen to my share first, of course. Um and Alshon Jeffrey could miss at least the first two games of the regular season on the pop with a shoulder injury. I'm telling you, Eagles are gonna start slow. People are calling me crazy. Gonna be a rough start for the Eagles. You'll see. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh back to that to the Browns thing. The the hard knocks on Tuesday night. Another good episode. These coaches are unbelievable. I mean it's just Greg Williams and Hugh Jackson are, you knew what they were going to be like. And yet it's even worse than we could have possibly imagined. Um, Todd, Greg Williams just swears. Up in, don't you think that these people are, these players are tired of saying like, come get some beep every time he breaks the huddle in every single meeting? I mean, they'll just get old. It sounds like Jesse from, uh, from Breaking Bad. I mean, like he's just dropping the B word just an excessive amount of times. So it's just kind of ridiculous at this point. Uh, Todd Haley, I do find oddly appealing. I didn't think that would, that would happen. Um, you know, he's cussing out Jarvis Landry for not running out a route. And then, but then pulls him aside and it's like, Hey, if you don't do, you know, if you don't run it out, then people, rookies will see that they won't run it out. He's like, I'm sorry for yelling at you. I thought that was some good stuff. And then of course the rookie skits were uh, legendary. John Dorsey or Baker Mayfield dressed up as John Dorsey. And then they did like a, they redid the Jarvis Landry skit where he's like, you know, it's contagious, man. It's contagious. And they got a guy like hobbling across the, the field wearing, wearing, uh, two, two casts on his legs. I highly recommend you watch it. Another very good episode. This is also a very good episode of the Pick Six podcast. You can subscribe, you can rate, and you can review on iTunes. Unsubscribe, resubscribe. I think if you do that, it jacks it up at the rating. So in the morning, hit the button, I guess. I mean, we're guess we're just going to do this thing and try and gain the system. Let's fire up as fast as we can. Um, to all those that listen, it's greatly appreciated. Let's get to Dr. Brandon Bowers, a Doctor of Physical Therapy. Going to break down some sports news right now. All right, Brandon. Thanks for joining us. Excited to have a uh, an actual doctor on the show, and uh, and actually to break down, you know, some of these some of these injuries that are that we're going to be looking at. Um, not not just from a you know an NFL perspective, but a fantasy perspective. And a, I think it's important that that people like injury reports are so vital to understanding week to week what's going on in the league that it's it's sort of important to know. Um, what's going to happen with particular injuries, right? I mean, it's become a very big part of the game.
1: The big thing here we see with with injuries, Will, I mean, like you mentioned, looking week to week, obviously these things can have a big impact on the gridiron and, and as well as a fantasy football perspective. So kind of my role is to kind of help individuals understand things from a medical standpoint, what we can expect players to be able to do when they come back. Uh, so that's what we're, what we're here to do tonight, and I'm ready to get started. How did you, um I mean,
0: I, I would assume that, we don't, you can give the background on how you got into, you know, the medical world, but I am I'm, I'm even more curious how you how you got into the, um, sort of the sports analysis world. Although, it, you know, if you're you work with athletes, so it crosses over, right?
1: Yeah. So, kind of how this all started when I when I was in high school, I actually sustained a pretty significant shoulder injury, and I had to go through the whole rehab process and physical therapy myself. Had a great experience, and that led me kind of down this this medical career path. As far as what I'm doing here tonight. Uh, with the injury analysis, this all started a couple years ago, uh, 2016. I just kind of had a, a passion for, for obviously the, the medical side of things. But I would see online people and kind of the lay the, the layperson trying to understand these injuries and not getting things quite right. So I figured there was a need there that I could help to bridge that gap from a medical perspective. Combine that with the fantasy sports side of things and merge those together to help give fans a better understanding of what these injuries are and how they impact the players and their teams.
0: Awesome. And uh, I believe people can find you on Twitter at uh, B L Bowers Twelve. Uh, that's Dr. Brandon Bowers to you and uh Athletico Physical Therapy, right?
1: Yeah, so as you mentioned at Beal Bowers 12 on Twitter, Athletico Physical Therapy is my employer. I'm located on the northeast side of Columbus, but Athletico is actually headquartered out of Chicago. We've been around since 1991. Uh, we're across 12 states with over 450 clinics. We're we're focusing kind of on the, on the outpatient orthopedic setting seeing a high volume of athletes as well as individuals of other diagnoses and other demographics. But, again, at BLBowers12 on Twitter.
0: Nice. All right, well, let's dive into the actual injuries. I think when we look at, um, you know, so, I mean, some of those guys that are dealing with injuries, the two that stand out to me more than anybody are a pair of young franchise quarterbacks both returning from an ACL injury, Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson. One, uh, Deshaun Watson, who suffered the injury earlier last season in 2017, slated to return, has already played in preseason games, should be good for week one. And then the other, Carson Wentz, who suffered the injury on December 10th uh, out in Los Angeles against the Rams at a critical NFC uh, battle. Wentz obviously didn't play the rest of the year, has not been cleared yet for week one by Eagles doctors. Uh, what is this – when you look at an ACL, I mean, t- as you and I have talked a little bit over email before the before the podcast – I mean, to me, there's a a misconception publicly about the return time from an ACL that's sort of been propagated by um, athletes rushing to get back on the field or the superhuman guys like Adrian Peterson or even Philip Rivers is actually an interesting example. Getting back on the field quickly. Uh, Is the recovery timeline longer, perhaps, than people initially tend to think?
1: Usually the return to play timetable after these ACL injuries will is usually in the neck of the woods of nine to eleven months. So Deshaun Watson's at about ten months out here, so he's right within that time frame what we'd expect to see. But you did mention kind of you run into some of the anomalies with the Adrian Petersons who who I think returned in five or six months. So obviously these guys are professional, high-level athletes who who work out and take care of their bodies for a living. So they're gonna have exposure to the top-notch medical care. Uh, so you're certainly going to run into some of these guys who can come back on the faster side of things. If you look at the big picture, though, and look at everything at the whole, usually it's falling within that 9- to 11-month range. I think what we run into as fans and as fantasy football owners in some situations is you, you see the one guy like AP who comes back in five or six months, and then we try and apply that to everyone. When in reality, everybody's body's going to respond a little bit differently, and more oftentimes than not, people aren't going to come back that quick.
0: Um, the other interesting thing about an ACL too, to me, is that I think when you look at certain guys and even top shelf players, the the two that come to spring to mind immediately for me are Rob Gronkowski, who tore his ACL in uh, early in the 2013 season and then Keenan Allen, who tore his ACL early in the 2016 season. Both guys ended up having uh, – they won Comeback Player of the Year in their respective following seasons, uh, 2014 for Gronk and, um, and 2016 for Keenan Allen, and ended up having great seasons in those in those years. But I think the thing that's undersell – this is part of why I think that the, the ACL injury is a little bit undersold, is that if you if you look at how those guys performed in those seasons – Gronk took a little while to get going. Like He, he didn't even have his first 100-yard game or first five-catch game until October, and then Keenan Allen didn't really hit his stride until the middle of the season. Do you think there is is the period where these guys develop their explosiveness or regain their explosiveness a little bit longer maybe than, than we're used to?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly an, an adequate expectation to have here. The the analogy that I always make with my patients, Will, is whenever we sustain a significant injury like an ACL, um, I always like to take this back and take take a look at a marathon runner. So if you consider a marathon runner who's running 26.2 miles as a part of their training, as a part of their races, and they're on the shelf for a period of time, they're not going to go right back out the first time, Back out running and run that twenty-six point two miles again. So in this situation, when we're dealing with these guys who have to kind of ramp back into things when we start to see that elite level production. It's not going to occur overnight, and it's not going to occur right away, just due to the sheer time that they've been off and down and rehabbing for that nine to eleven month time window. And uh, it's going to definitely take some time to build back up to that prior level of function. Do you
0: think that it um, it matters, like as a someone who's doing a lot of cutting and a lot of running, you know, straight line, like an athlete, like like a wide receiver? or a tight end, or a running back, is it easier to return as a quarterback maybe who's operating in the pocket and and theoretically not
1: running as much? You bring up a good point. You you look at these skill position players, the running backs, the receivers, or or the tight end in in terms of Gronk, and there is a little bit more of kind of an uphill climb here for for these guys was they're performing more dynamic movements, coming in and out of cuts, having to jump up and down, whereas you look at a lineman, an offensive lineman, for example, or a quarterback not having to go through as much dynamic movement, and it may be a little easier. Now, the return to sport criteria is going to be relatively the same. At at Atletico, we have a very rigorous program that we put our athletes through, and they're doing the same thing here at the professional level. So all the criteria to go back to play will be relatively the same. But if we're looking at actual production of these guys in terms of skill position versus a quarterback or, or an offensive lineman, uh, the production and kind of the, the hill they got to climb to get back may be a little bit different. Mm,
0: interesting. All right, moving to a different type of injury with the same position. Andrew Luck, um, have you – I mean, I'm sure you've been monitoring this whole situation, which has gone on for multiple years now. Uh, have you been surprised at how the Colts have handled his shoulder injury? And do you feel like they're doing it the right way now by bringing him along slowly? And then I would well, I'll let you answer that first. But I haven't. Sorry. I, Andru- <laughs> no, you're, oh, poorly, you're totally poorly phrased question.
1: <laughs> With Andrew Luck, he had that labor repair uh, performed in his throwing sh- shoulder. It's been certainly a long road. For him and the repair of this damaged cartilage, uh, he, he's been out here for a couple years, and I do believe to answer your question, Will, that the, that the Colts are taking the appropriate approach here to make sure they're easing him back into things. Really, the big thing here, and I know we kind of chatted about uh, about it a little through email, is that we've seen a little bit of a, a reduction in his throwing velocity here yes. as as we're working through our, our way through the preseason. Now, if you look at the, the situation, we're dealing with an overhead athlete. And Andrew Luck, who's who's a thrower, and an injury and a surgery to his throwing shoulder. So to see this reduction in throwing velocity here early on is not surprising and shouldn't be seen as alarming. I mean, you look Ooh. at uh, baseball players and you look at throwers in, in that regard who have a similar surgery in, in that labrum repair, and usually we see a little bit of a reduction in their velocity as well. So they're handling this appropriately structurally his shoulder is sound it's just a matter of ramping back up and and getting back to the Andrew Luck of old okay so uh, the throwing velocity
0: and the depth of target I think are probably the two biggest concerns people have you don't do you think that the the lack of I'm pretty sure he hadn't thrown through three three weeks of the preseason as we're recording this he hadn't thrown more than five yards downfield on any pass which one could write off as a uh, a byproduct of the frank Wright offensive system or one could write <laughs> off as we're terrified to let andrew luck uh, uncork one i mean is the, is that a possible red flag i know you mentioned the, the velocity thing is fascinating to me that it's not an issue i i would have i guess that just is a natural byproduct of the surgery but i i, mean, I think anytime you see with pitchers or, or quarterbacks or anybody who's a, a thrower of of a, of a of a ball then you know you you don't want to see a velocity dip but that's interesting
1: a couple of things that we need to look at here in terms of, of a depth of his throws and not throwing past five yards are, are a couple of things here. Uh, usually when we're returning to play after a, a, a thrower who's had this type of injury, usually there's a progression in terms of the depth of, of the throw, the distance of the throw, the velocity of the throw, what have you. Uh, there also could be a kind of a psychological component here. Uh, with Andrew Luck in, in trusting his shoulder. When, when we return athletes to play, and same thing at the professional level, there's obviously the physical component, which everybody's concerned about, but then there's the psychological component to make sure that these athletes are trusting their now structurally repaired body parts to do what they needed to do. So you look at a guy in, in a situation for Andrew Luck here in the Colts, T.Y. Hilton obviously – uh, reaps a lot of benefit with those deep balls down the field, which mm-hmm. he hasn't seen here in the preseason. Uh, so we'll see how luck progresses here um as the season gets going and see if that depth of throw increases. I would say through the first few weeks of the season, we should see him start to stretch it out a little bit. If not, then I would say then that may be cause for concern. But hopefully this lack of depth of throw here for luck is just a matter of kind of working through his progression, building up his confidence, and getting back uh, to his previous level of function. Yeah,
0: that would be nuts if they put him out there in week one. They're like, all right, Andrew can't throw more than 10 yards down the field, but we're going to let him play quarterback anyway. Cause it, <laughs> it'd be pretty, pretty easy to figure that out from a defensive standpoint. Let's talk about some, uh, some running backs who have interesting injuries. David Johnson fascinates me, not from a, a medical standpoint so much as like a, a very bizarre narrative standpoint. It, it would, have, it would appear to me, uh, Brandon, that, that, Basically, everyone thinks he tore his ACL, Like, and like, it makes no sense because he had a wrist injury that he suffered in week one. Everybody's treating him like he's coming off a major like, lower body injury, and, he, and he's just dealing with a wrist injury. Is that is that wrist uh, issue that he went with something that can affect him long term? Is it something that could be a concern for ball security? And do you think anyone should be worried about per- potentially drafting David Johnson high in drafts?
1: When we look at the David Johnson situation, will he obviously had that wrist dislocation had had the surgery towards the beginning of last year. That certainly bodes well for Johnson uh being that the injury occurred towards the beginning of the season. He had that wrist surgically repaired with plates and screws to to kind of fix the fracture, fix the dislocation, and offer him a little bit more stability. I think when we look at this injury and you hear a dislocation of any joint it it throws up some red flags, and so I think that could be why uh some people or coming from the standpoint that this was a major injury. When we look at the long term here for Johnson, this shouldn't plague him in, in a negative way. He may deal with some aches or pains or soreness throughout the season, but that's to be expected after this type of injury. As far as ball security, he should be okay. Uh, the the one thing that I think is going to be important to look at here for Johnson is is his ability u- to utilize his stiff arm. Mm. Obviously, again, a situation like we talked about with Luck, being able to trust that surgically repaired joint and be able to function at his prior level. So in 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 the grand scheme of things, I don't think we see a a very large long term impact. uh, But maybe here initially as he ramps up to full game action and full game speed, uh, he may be a little hesitant.
0: Rashad Penny's the uh, the rookie Seahawks rookie running back that they surprisingly took in the first round and you know it, it was this has been a weird scenario because with the Darius Geis ACL tear Penny was basically slid in the number two spot in rookie drafts and, and the number two rookie to draft in in redraft leagues behind Saquon Barkley. And then all of a sudden he suffers a broken finger uh, back on August 15th, I guess. So about two weeks ago, Chris Carson slides into the starting role for, for the Seahawks, and, and yet now they're already going to clear him for Thursday night's action. We're recording this on a Tuesday for a Wednesday. Uh, but, you know, it sounds like Rashad Penny is going to play – Is a broken finger something that can hold him back significantly? It feels like they're treating this a little cavalier, like in in kind of a cavalier fashion.
1: When we look at this situation, uh, what really needs to be considered is the severity of the break. Obviously, it was severe enough that he had to have surgery. uh, But when we're looking at a running back versus a wide receiver, uh, a broken finger may have a bigger impact on a wide receiver. When we look at the case here for Penny, uh usually when you get that finger surgically repaired and surgically fixed, as long as it's relatively minor in nature, which appears to be the case here, the return to play time is usually pretty quick. Now, he may have a little bit of trouble with ball security and, and gripping onto the football as he gets back in the group of things. Obviously, uh there there's definitely going to be – uh, carries to be split here between Carson and Penny, and we'll see who emerges as the lead back. But long-term here for Penny, I don't expect anything significant. You're looking at a guy who, who led all of college football last year in rushing, uh and the Seahawks drafted him kind of with confidence to hopefully sod in here and fill that role. So if we look at his injury, there shouldn't be a whole lot of concern here. It shouldn't affect where anybody's drafting him in terms of fantasy. So, again, a guy you want to monitor here through the first couple of weeks of the season and see how he progresses.
0: Interesting. I think he's almost a borderline sleeper then because he's basically – Basically, fallen off people's radars because of the injury, because of Chris Carson there, and the Seahawks just do weird stuff with their running backs. Their offense might not be good, but you can get some some pretty good value there, I think, in, in Rashad Penny if you wait on him a little bit. Uh, another guy that I'm actually staying away from in drafts, who happens to be on the Seahawks as well, uh, Doug Baldwin came out today on or came out on Tuesday, excuse me, and said that he. If, if this, if, if this preseason, if this weekend or this preseason week or whatever it is was week one in a regular season game, he would be able to play with his knee injury. But, and this phrase, I don't know how this scares you as a, as a doctor of physical therapy, as as somebody who, um, I mean, you know, has been doing this for long enough to, to recognize some of the warning signs. It it throws up a major red flag for me, but he said he's going to have to, quote, manage the injury, end quote, all year long. That to me, Brandon, is a huge red flag if somebody is, wide receivers are managing a knee injury for at the beginning of the season.
1: It's certainly concerning when you hear that something's going to be have to be managed over over the duration of an entire year. When we're looking at this from a medical perspective and the Seahawks coming out and saying that he would be able to play if they had to play this week is certainly a good sign. Because what that kind of tells us here, Will, is that this isn't a significant injury in the standpoint that he's torn his ACL or one of the other major ligaments in his knee. Usually when we're dealing with these types of injuries, where they have to be managed long term over the course of a season. Uh, usually there's a development of some arthritis in the knee, which isn't going to go away uh, with just rehab and rest, uh, cortisone injection, what have you, or possibly uh, there's some damage to some of the cartilage in his knee. So this is something that, as Baldwin, the Seahawks mentioned, that usually just kind of gets managed from a pain perspective. He's going to be able to go out on the field and, and produce. Uh, we may see a little bit of a decrease in his production, uh, but to your point, Will, a guy that I mean, I, I'm not going to stay completely away from uh when it gets to my fantasy drafts, but a guy certainly to draft with caution, knowing that this thing's going to linger for the bulk of the season.
0: Yeah, I think if you take Doug Baldwin, you need to do so – With the idea that he would be a massive upgrade to your flex position or even your wide receiver three position and that you have alternatives in place and you don't need to draft Doug Baldwin. All right, I'm plug and play for the rest of the year. Go draft, you know, go draft some running backs. You need to make sure you got depth there if you, if you go after Doug Baldwin. Um, I just remember talking to Richard, I talked to Richard Sherman last year after he torn his Achilles. Obviously they're different injuries, of course, but he pointed out that he knew coming into the season, that it was gonna—he—he he knew he had to manage it. That it was gonna pop at some point, or that it was gonna go, and he was just trying to do his best. Which I—I th- I just thought was—that's like an insane way to—to to come into a season. That's how tough these guys are, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, when you're dealing with that Achilles and Richard Sherman, it's a pretty brutal injury. And so a lot of these guys, I mean, the football players and hockey players are, I would say, the, the toughest athletes out there. So they know how to manage these things adequately and appropriately. When we're looking here, again, at Baldwin, again, if we're looking at the nature of this injury, if it truly is just arthritis or some possible cartilage damage, this is best case scenario for him here. Uh, and, a, and a little pain and a, a sore knee isn't going to hold him back from going out there and contributing for the Seahawks. So these guys are grinders, and when we're dealing with minor stuff like this, um, it, it's not going to hold these guys back.
0: All right. Maybe we're taking a flyer on after all. Uh, one more guy in the NFC West on the offensive side of the ball, Jarek McKinnon. A calf injury is limiting him. Uh, how cautious do you think the 49ers should be with the guy that they paid a lot of money to this offseason, the guy who's an explosive sort of uh, – pass catching, running back, Kyle Shanahan wanted him on that roster, or should they, I mean, it it seems to me that they should be cautious, right? Like you can't just toss him out there with a calf injury. This is something that if if he tweaked it again, the severity could go up, right?
1: Well, if we chat on future podcasts about injuries, you're going to notice a recurring theme when we're dealing (laughs) with calf injuries, hamstring injuries, and three words that I use pretty commonly are soft tissue injuries, so injuries to the muscles, so in this case the calf. And the reason this is so important is because these soft tissue injuries have a very high recurrence rate. So when we're looking here at McKinnon with this calf injury, the the 49ers have been very conservative, and that's what they should be doing, quite frankly, at this point in time. The games don't matter yet. Obviously, they paid them a lot of money to come in and and be kind of their premier back. So it's important that they are cautious and they get this thing 100% right this go-round, because if they don't, we get to week five, week six, week seven, and this thing rears its ugly head again and he has a setback and then he's out for a longer period of time. So the 49ers and any other team that are dealing with players with soft tissue injuries, be it a calf, be it a hamstring, be it whatever other muscle, it's important to make sure you're doing your due diligence, taking your time as you work through the rehab process to reduce the risk of this thing thing coming back down the line.
0: And remember Kyle Shanahan has a 6 or 5 years left on his fully guaranteed contract. Everybody is buying in on what he and John Lynch are doing. They are not in a huge rush to win immediately and I don't think that they will be in a huge rush to get Jarrett McKinnon back on there. So if you are drafting Jarrett McKinnon, make sure it gets some, uh, some backup for him as well. Two offensive linemen, and we'll get done with the, the specific player injuries, unless there's anybody else you want to talk about. I am fascinated by um, what the Cowboys will do with Zach Martin because the Cowboys are constantly in win-now mode. It seems like they are getting a little concerned. They have Travis Frederick. Who is out with a an autoimmune disorder that he's dealing with? Uh, But Zach Martin took a shot to the knee from Drake Kirkpatrick against the Bengals in the preseason. It's a hyperextended knee and a bone bruise for a guy who's you know out of the guard position does a lot of pulling, a lot of lateral movement. How big a concern is that?
1: We're dealing with this knee hyperextension, best case scenario here for Martin with that bone bruise. These things can linger, though, Will, so it's important that they allow time for him to kind of rest, recover, and get back into the swing of things. When we're looking at what he has to do on the football field, this shouldn't pose too large of a risk. You you may notice a little early on maybe he's a little bit slower, a step slower off the offensive line, uh, maybe not be... As dynamic as what we're, what we're used to seeing here, uh, he does have to take a, a pretty extensive load through that knee as, as the result of him being an offensive lineman. So this is something, again, like other situations we've discussed already, something to monitor here as they get going uh, with the regular season. You med- mentioned Frederick out for an unknown amount of time with that autoimmune disorder. So just something to keep an eye on here uh i i saw today on twitter brandon george of the dallas morning news indicated that zach martin was back at practice so that's certainly a good sign here for the cowboys but as we go forward here expect him to be a step slower here as he gets back into the groove of things and then progress his his speed and his dynamic ability on the the field as as the season progresses
0: i was wondering if they wouldn't run like more straightforward power runs where you know he doesn't have to get out and get into the second level and pull and all that stuff with his knee banged up that would be Kind of an interesting change of things. Uh, Cordy Glenn, maybe an even bigger impact guy. You know, the Bengals traded for him, moved down in the first round in the draft, get him to to solve their offensive line problems. He's going to have a huge impact on Joe uh, Joe Mixon, Andy Dalton, AJ Green, Tyler Eifert, John Ross. I mean, all these guys, sort of a a trickle down effect. How big a concern is a shoulder injury for a guy who's constantly grappling with other huge human beings?
1: The good news here for Glenn is is that the team and Glenn himself don't seem too concerned with, with the shoulder injury. Now, the team hasn't given any kind of specific diagnosis. Uh, being that that's the case, I, I don't anticipate that he has any sort of structural damage to his shoulder. So, so this is more than likely kind of a low-grade sprain or, or strain of the shoulder. And, and this is certainly significant from the standpoint that like you said, he's having to grapple with with defensive linemen, constantly bear a lot of weight through that shoulder, and, and take a lot of impact. So again, a guy that has potential to have a big impact on the offensive line here for the Bengals at left tackle can definitely affect the capability and production of the, the Bengals' skill players. Uh, overall, this doesn't seem to be too big of a concern for the team or Glenn, but certainly if this is causing him pain, that he has to work and kind of play through, then this could be an issue here for Cordy Glenn on the offensive line, and certainly an
0: issue for Andy Dalton. All right, let's run over a couple injuries, and uh, then we'll get you out of here. I, I think that people, again, like you said about the soft tissue injuries, because the I mean the hamstring, lots of people have have suffered ha- like have have had a, a sore hammy or uh, a hammy that feels really tight when they're out running and stuff like that. I mean, clearly for professional athletes, it's a whole different ball game, um, and so you know, for fantasy purposes, for, for betting on games, for whatever, for whatever it is, if you're looking at somebody who has dealt with a hamstring injury before, um, how, how can folks who maybe don't understand the, the full concept and the full breadth of the injury uh, look at these soft tissue injuries from one week to the next in terms of whether a guy will play? Are there different grades? Uh, what should they be looking at in terms of practice time leading up to the week, et cetera, et cetera?
1: When you're looking at this, in in terms of a grading standpoint, it's going to be the best way to to evaluate really how severe this thing is. So typically, hamstring and other soft tissue injuries are are graded on a scale uh, from 1 to 3, with 1 being a slight overstretch of the muscle, 2 being a partial tear of the muscle, Mm. and a grade 3, often requiring surgery, a complete tear of the muscle. So uh, what you want to look for in terms of, of playing DFS or um, fantasy football just in, in general, the, the weekly fantasy game, is to look at the verbiage that the teams are using. Typically, uh, a mild hamstring strain is correlated with a grade one strain. Moderate is correlated with a grade two. And severe is correlated with a grade three. So when we're dealing with these guys, Will, who, who've who got the grade one or, or the mild strains in nature, typically it's a little bit shorter return to play timetable, usually in the neighborhood of two to three weeks. Uh, and it's it's important to keep an eye on the practice participation as the week goes on typically you'll see these guys sit out uh, early in practice and then as the week progresses and we get towards the end of the week they might be maybe limited as, as they're getting back into things so really just paying attention to the verbiage that's used here mild moderate and severe will give us a good indication as to when these guys will be able to be back and when you can slot them back in your fantasy lineups
0: did not moderate so like, like I if somebody told me that i Partially tore my hamstring. They'd be like, "You have a moderate, te- you have a moderate hamstring strain." They'd be like, "This is not moderate. This is a very painful partial tear." I don't know. I think I find that I find sometimes the verbiage on these on these NFL, – are like, "Oh, like he's, you know, he's he's uh, he's probable." It's like he has a partial hamstring tear. He's not probable.
1: It feels like it's a little conservative sometimes, right? Yeah, I mean, NFL teams can be a little tight to the vest sometimes with, yeah. with this, with the specifics. So, I mean, if you're looking at a partial tear or a moderate strain, I could be that, I mean, that could be a 15% tear of the muscle. That, I mean, that could be moderate, or you could be a 90% tear of the muscle. Mm. That could also be moderate. And I mean, It's it's not until you get to that 100% complete tear where you're looking at a grade three. So there's definitely a a wide a wide spectrum here when we're doing with dealing with a grade two or a moderate tear. So it can be a bit frustrating at times from a fantasy football owner's perspective. Is I mean we don't always have all the information. Uh, but the the general rule of thumb, like like I said, follow kind of that mild, moderate, severe grading and cross your fingers from there.
0: (laughs) The uh the ACL, I I mean I guess I mean. I feel like people have a pretty good idea of the ACL, but, but maybe not. I mean, actually, you know what? I don't think people do. So the, in the, correct me if I'm wrong here, and I probably am, but, uh, there are three, three joints in the knee, the ACL, the MCL, and the PCL, right? And those are the ones, those are the, those are the, those are the tears that you can suffer. Um, how much, that is right, isn't it? Well, you, you've actually – we've got four. Four. So. Oh, I missed one. All right. What's the, the, I, so you got
1: AC, ACL, PCL, MCL, which is on the inner side of the knee, and then the one you miss is the LCL, oh, which yeah. is actually on the outer side of the knee. Well,
0: the, the, the ACL is the most common one. That's on the front, right? Correct. Okay, Correct. yeah. And so, I mean, I guess – it but it always – when somebody has a knee injury in football, it almost always – if it's a, a seizing-ending knee injury that is some kind of tear, it almost always is the ACL, but then the compound nature of the left, right – uh, or rear the MCL, you know the PCL and LCL. That compounds it in terms of how uh, how tough it can be for recovery, right?
1: Yeah, you look at a guy like Carson Wentz. He sustained his ACL injury in addition to an LCL injury. So anytime we're dealing with these multi-ligamentous injuries where more than one is involved, it has the potential to prolong the recovery period. Like you mentioned, ACLs are usually the most common, and, and the good news is uh, there's usually a pretty high return to play rate. At, at an effective level. So, I mean, it's a death sentence that season in, in a player's ability for them to be able to come back. But good news is the subsequent season, depending on when the tear occurs during the previous season, they're is- usually able to come back and contribute at a pretty high level.
0: Yeah, the uh, I think the new – not the new ACL in terms of medical uh, purposes, but in terms of football purposes, the thing that we've really seen pop up in the last few years – uh, is not related to the knee, but actually related to the foot, and it is the dreaded Lisfranc Frank injury. Can you uh, can you give us sort of a rundown of what that is and how likely it is that a player will return after suffering a Lisfranc injury?
1: So, like you said, this is really starting to crop crop up more and more. Uh, the Lisfranc Frank injury is, is an injury to the, to the middle portion of the foot where. Kind of the, the the arch on the top of your foot connects with kind of the toe bones that go down towards kind of the end of the foot. And so what we're dealing with here is a couple things. We can have a a, a sprain of of the Lisfranc joint and a, an overstretch of the ligaments. We can get a break to the bones in this joint. Uh, and the the injuries to this joint have a wide range of severity. On the conservative end, with without fractures or without uh, breaks or dislocations of the bones and we're dealing with just a sprain. Usually these are able to be managed pretty conservatively. Uh, uh Le'Veon Bell had one of these uh, a few years yeah. back that didn't require surgery and he was able to rehab okay. He contributes at a high level now. Uh, but then if we look at a situation here where surgery is required, where we're dealing with a potential fracture, dislocation, or even tearing of the ligaments, usually surgery is required. Uh, to kind of restabilize things and get everything back in place. Now, the caveat with having to have the surgery is usually there's a pretty pretty lengthy return to play timetable and a pretty grueling rehab process. There was a research study that was put out in 2016 that looked at NFL players from 2000 to 2010 who had these Liz Franck injuries, and the median or average return to play timetable was 11 months. Wow. And so it's it's really a gru- grueling rehab. I've seen patients with this injury in clinic, and it can be frustrating because The the Liz Franck joint is so important to the function of the foot and the transfer of force from from the back of the calf muscle to kind of push off through the toes. And so it's really, really crucial in function in everyday life and out on the football field. So definitely not something you want to hear. Uh, when it comes to your favorite favorite players on your on your football team or even your fantasy football team, uh, because it can definitely be a long grueling rehab.
0: Uh, high ankle sprains are a term that will pop up a lot. Maybe a little bit less in the last few years, or am I am I off on that? I can't. I mean, or maybe an ankle sprain is just something that's a part of sports and we've sort of gotten used to it. Um, what how big, is, how big a difference is the severity of a regular ankle sprain versus a high ankle sprain, and and what are, what are the timelines if people hear uh, those specific injuries?
1: The high ankle sprains are, are definitely a red flag. We're dealing with uh, an injury actually that occurs slightly above the ankle. Uh, you've got your tibia or your, sh- your shin bone, and you got your fibula, which is your outer leg bone. And there's a there's a few different ligaments that kind of help hold that together and we're get when we get an overstretch or torquing or tearing of, of these ligaments that's when we get the the high ankle sprain. So this is occurs again higher up than what your typical ankle sprain, your low ankle sprain occurs. Um, you, you see these from time to time and there's definitely a, a length and return to play timetable with these things. It's going to depend on severity, uh, but if surgery is not required and this is just managed via rehab typically, we're looking at about a 68-week return-to-play timetable. Again, everybody's going to vary a little bit because all of our bodies are a little different, uh, but usually that six- to eight-week timetable usually will suffice. Uh, But it's just something, Will, that you don't want to hear when it comes to ankle sprains. If you hear somebody's got a low ankle sprain, it's all right. They'll be able to rehab and get back pretty quickly. But when we're dealing with these high ankle sprains, Again, a lot of pain, a lot of rehab, and working on getting that stability back to the lower leg and the ankle before this player gets back out on the field. True story. I once suffered a
0: high ankle sprain at a fish concert. My doctor was very impressed. Oh, like, man. He, I mean, I,
1: I would come up with a better story than that if I were you.
0: <laughs> That's, I walked in there. He's like, he's like, how did you do this? I was like, I was at a concert. He was like, what, who was it? I was like, oh, it was a fish concert. He's like, he's like are you <laughs> kidding me? He's like, A, they A, they're still touring. B, what are you doing spraying your ankle at a friggin' concert, you clown? Um, yeah,
1: we, we gotta work on that story for you.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I know. I was, I, I think I started lying about it later down the road. Uh, last one. This is my favorite, well, not my favorite injury. There's no favorite injury. The ham eight bone! We talked about this. Uh, can you explain what the ham eight bone injury is for those that don't know?
1: So this is an injury, Will, that you typically see in, in baseball players more so than anyone. The hamate bone and in, in the hook of hamate that sits on the hamate bone is a bone that's located in the wrist. Uh, it's one of eight carpal bones or wrist bones that sit right at that wrist joint. Typically, this occurs as a result of a fall on an outstretched hand or what we call a foosh injury. Um, in, in baseball players, you can see guys who have the repetitive, repetitive stress of the knob of the bat to the wrist can cause this to happen. When we're looking at rehab and recovery from this type of injury, sometimes they'll surgically go in and remove part of the bone, uh, and it's usually a six- to eight-week return to play timetable. Sometimes uh, you can manage this conservatively, but it's a bone in your wrist, most commonly seen in baseball players. Usually, they respond pretty well without any ill effects when they return to play.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to find somebody that I know. There's somebody in the NFL that suffered one, but you're right, like... Tim Tebow, if you Google hamlet bone NFL player, the only thing that pops up is Tim Tebow, Mets minor leaguer, who is now <laughs> out for the season with a uh, heavy bone. All right, uh, Dr. Brandon Bowers, this has been a blast. Um, lo- would uh, love to have you back on throughout the season to break down some of these injuries. You know, in a perfect world, well, not for your business, but for you know every for these football players, we wouldn't have to talk to you. I'm guessing that very quickly there will be a reason to ha- to get you on the podcast. Um, anything I may have missed? Anything you want to plug or uh, uh, tell people where to find you?
1: You know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, uh, you can find me on Twitter at blbowers12. Uh, I'll, I'll be covering NFL injuries for CBS Sports and Sportsline over, over the course of the entire NFL season. Uh, always open to any injury questions anyone may have. Uh, start them, sit them questions with, with regards to injury. I'm usually pretty responsive on, on, on Twitter. So at BLBowers12 on Twitter.
0: Awesome. Thanks for taking the time, man.